I understand. It's good to see you guys. I'm going to let Chuck hand those out, and then uh, we're going to jump right into this. I am really excited about this, y'all. We're, uh, I, I started doing my study on this. You know, Last week we talked about encounters with God, and to give you a highlight uh, of the situation with encounters with God, when people encountered God primarily in the Old Testament, uh, was that a happy situation a lot of times? What, what you, what, give me some examples. What, what would happen a lot of times? Scared? What else? Death? Yeah, what else? Violence? Lightning? Clouds? You know, I mean, there was, there was a whole lot of stuff going on, you know. I mean, it was a, it was a, a scary, monumental situation, wasn't it? Now, there are a couple of circum- or instances where uh, Elijah at the cave, remember the still small voice, and who knew that was, that was God, and there was peace that came with that. But a lot of times it was a, I mean, remember, uh, example, when Moses is going up to get the, uh, the Ten Commandments, I mean, they were scared to death, literally. I mean, it wasn't a comforting situation, was it? It was the power and the presence of Almighty God that showed up, and it was a very intimidating thing. As I was studying in the New Testament with Jesus, when Jesus comes along, we see a drastically different situation. Same God, right? Part of the Trinity, same God, but a different uh, experience. And so what we're going to go through for the next few weeks is we're going to talk about different encounters with Jesus. And I think you guys are probably going to find this as amazing as I did. It's interesting what happened when people would encounter Jesus. And there's so much that I think we can learn. And so we're going to talk about a couple of different times when Jesus encountered situations in the New Testament and what happened. And we're going to kind of go through these over the next few weeks. You're going to like it. Um, Let's pray. Marshall, would you open us up with prayer? Amen, amen. And I'm going to shoot to be done around 6.45 or so so that we can open the altars and continue prayer. We have decided the first Wednesdays of each month that we're going to have an encounter time, a prayer time. And so uh, we're actually changing the name. You guys know I like to brand everything. We used to have our encounters were our meals. Well, we're going to change that. And we're now going to call it Family Food. I'm not even kidding. It's the Family Feud logo and the little blanks that, have you ever seen Family Feud? I love that show. You know, but, but you know where the blanks turn? You know where you guess? Well, now that they turn, it's going to have what the food is for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have fun with it. So that'll be our, our monthly get-togethers we'll call Family Food because we're creative like that. And uh, then the encounters are going to be what we call these special opportunities where we come together and experience the presence of God and with each other. So... The first encounter will be uh, the first week of July, which will be next week, and uh, that Wednesday night we'll have a time where I'll share a brief message, and then we'll have really altar time and and prayer time, okay? So that'll start next week. So here's what we're going to talk about this week, encounters with Jesus, two different situations. The first situation, we're going to talk about the shepherds, okay? We're going to talk about the shepherds. Um, Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this week, I was going to give you homework for next week, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you homework next week for the following week, so y'all don't have to worry about it yet. And you still have to come, even though I'm giving you homework. Um, The shepherds on the hill, and I called it from fear to faith. The first human encounter with Jesus occurred immediately after his birth. 
It was a silent encounter where the breathless shepherd simply stood and looked and thought. We don't have any, you know, thing of where they interacted with them. We just know they were there. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Now, here's what I want you to get. Knowing what we talked about last week, what would happen when God would show up? What would usually happen? This kind of thing, (laughs) right? I mean, it's like all of a sudden, the presence and power of God shows up, and everybody's freaking out, which, by the way, we would have too, I'm sure. Okay, and and so they were terribly afraid, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for who? Which is who? Us, that's right. All the people, for today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which has been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen, just as had been told to them. So the who in this encounter is who? who, who who's involved here? The shepherds and the baby Jesus. If you're wondering what the answers are, I put them on here. So all you have to do is read it, okay? Uh, The shepherds and the baby Jesus. The where is Bethlehem. The what. The angels instructed them to go see the miracle of the Savior's birth. And here was the result. The result was that God was with us. Emmanuel, the Savior has come. Joy and wonder for the shepherds. And here's the bottom line. God is accessible to everyone. Now, here's what I love about this. It is the exact opposite of what we experience in the Old Testament. Fear and judgment. And and understand, the heart of God is not that towards us. But what we see here is that God is accessible to everyone. The all-powerful God of the universe in the form of flesh is a baby laying in a cattle trough. And and I'm not going to go into the Christmas message. We'll save that for six months down the road. But the shepherds were the last people you would expect this to happen to. This is a direct, I mean, this seems to be almost diametrically opposed to what we see in the Old Testament. Lightning and thunder and a baby. Wow. That's amazing to me. God in the flesh, God is with us. They had cowered in horrific fear back on the hillside. They were fearful that they might die for no sinner can survive the awesome presence of the God who is holy. Think about that. But the angel said, fear not. Fear not. To me, it's almost like they're saying everything has changed. Everything's changed. You don't need to be afraid. Fear not. The good news, great joy for all people because the Savior, the long-promised, long-expected, has now come. 
God with us, Emmanuel, Messiah, the Lamb of God. So the shepherds ran to Bethlehem, and with the words of the angel ringing in their hearts, they stood and looked and wondered at Jesus. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. And I want you guys, as we're studying these things over the next few weeks, think of the context of what God has done to bridge the gap. This was all intentional. This was all on purpose. Okay? This was all on purpose. So let's go down. That's the first encounter then with the shepherds. Any comments about that? Any comments? Man, they were the lowest of the low, Charles. The the shepherds were at the bottom of the economic food chain. You didn't go to high school and somebody said, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Dude, I want to be a shepherd. And they went, oh, yeah, you do. Okay, that wasn't a highly sought after thing. There was nothing wrong with the job, and I've got two theologians back here that can jump in. But, but the truth is, it, wasn't, it, it, it was not like this high and mighty job. See, Jesus deserved to be in the palace, being waited on by kings and priests and everybody else, and yet he was born in a manger, which just shows how this is a completely opposite chain of events here. Amen? But it was God's plan, okay? It was God's plan. But let's look for a few moments, and, and so there we have the start. We have Jesus dealing with his first encounters is with these shepherds. But we're going to go as Jesus has grown up a little bit. Dr. Riddle talked a few weeks ago about Jesus being baptized. Do you remember that when the Holy Spirit came on him? The voice of heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, John talks about how he's not, you know, fit to even tie Jesus' sandals. you guys remember that? This happens right after that situation. Okay, this, this is where Jesus now, so we have Jesus encountering shepherds, now we have Jesus encountering the devil. Okay, so Jesus encountering shepherds, now we have him encountering the devil. The devil, I said it with a B. Wow, devil, hit the devil. Okay, let's look down at uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 22. Uh, I'm sorry, page 2 at the bottom? Page 4, sorry. You got it? Luke 3, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form. Like, notice it is like a dove. It's not as a dove. The Holy Spirit's not a dove. It's like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. So this is what's happened, right? And so then go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter, and I, want to, and I put some notes in here for you guys. That word tempter or tempted, it's a Greek parazzo, okay? And here's what it means. The, the translators use the word tempted, but what it really means is tested. The, the better definition is tested, okay? So Jesus is being tested in the desert. That's what's going on here. What is the purpose of a test? Do what? See if you know something. What did you say, Mike? To pass or fail. The, the, the purpose is, is both of those. But really, a test is a test for the teacher or a test for the student? It's for the student. It, it's to see what you know. But it is also to pass it. The purpose is to pass it. But it's really to see what you know, okay? And so, in this situation, the devil is going to test Jesus. 
And so the devil comes to him, and then I've got a bunch of notes underneath this, but I'm going to go ahead and read this. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone." Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Okay? And I'm going to break these down for you in a minute and show you some things. But Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted or tested in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, that's a whole lot of stuff, and now I'm going to break it down for you so you understand. So the first situation we see Jesus interacting and having an encounter with shepherds. Now we see him having an encounter with the devil. And and here's what I want you to understand. There's a bunch in this, but the who is Jesus and the devil. The where is the desert. The what is that he was tempted or tested for 40 days. Here's the result. Jesus did not give in to temptation. He understands the temptations that we face. And he shows us how to deal with temptations when it comes. Let's get a couple things clear right off the bat. Uh, Jesus did not need to be tempted to help him grow. This was not a character building exercise for Jesus. Okay, So I want you to understand that. This wasn't a test that Jesus had to pass so he could become Jesus. He was already Jesus. Okay, Does that make sense? He was already Jesus. He endured temptation so that he could identify with us, which is Hebrews 2.18 and 4.15, and to demonstrate his own, his own holy and sinless character. Okay? And here's the point about temptation or testing. I want, I want you to, guys to think of temptation, whenever you're tempted, think of it as a test. It kind of changes it do, a little bit, doesn't it, in your mind? Am I being tempted or I'm being tested? Because if it's a test, what are you, what's God trying to teach me? And is it, am I going to pass or fail the test, okay? The Holy Spirit cannot tempt us. James chapter 1, verse 13, the Holy Spirit does not tempt us, but the Holy Spirit may lead us to a place where we will be tested. The Holy Spirit does not tempt us or test us, but he might lead us to a place where we will be tested. You say, well, you don't know that, Pastor. Well, if you look up to uh, Matthew, then Jesus was led up by who? What's verse 1 say there? 4-1. What's it say? Then Jesus was led up by who? Nope. The Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit led him. You mean, well, do you think the Holy Spirit knew that Satan was going to be over there? Do you think? Do you think the Holy Spirit got up? Oh, man, I've led him to the wrong place. Satan's here. Do you think that's what happened? He knew what he was doing. Okay? This will probably mean more to you here in a little while. This is not to prove something to God who knows everything, who already knows all things, but it's to prove something to us and to the spiritual beings watching us. Tests. Tests. How many of y'all have taken tests? How many of you like tests? Mike likes tests. You like tests. What's wrong with you? I mean, oh, that's a blessing. I mean, but most of us don't like tests. Why, how many of you get stressed out when you take a test? I do. And I'm getting to the point now, being 48 years old, that if I read something and if I don't take the test right now, you know what's going to happen? It's gone. It's gone. I'm taking some ministry testing, and I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm really working towards starting my master's program. I'm getting excited about it. I never thought I'd ever say those words. But I am, and I'm, I'm getting excited about it. But I'm also thinking, man, if I'm going to take tests, I better, you know, test me now. Tell me the answer and test me now. Because <laughs> I don't seem to hold information like I used to. But I'm starting to understand more and more that the test part is really for me. Do I know what I'm doing? How many of you have ever been to a doctor? Would you like your doctor to have passed all of his tests? Why? I mean, if you walk in there and you see his diploma on the wall, it says, graduate of Amatella U, mail-in order, are you going to go to this doctor? <laughs> no. You want to know that this person knows something, don't you? Right? But there had to be a test involved to see if they knew the information. So Jesus is going through this not to prove anything to us or even to God, but, I mean, to God, he, he's proving this stuff so it, it helps us. This is for our information here. Jesus was tested in all things as we are, but he didn't sin. But he also showed us how to deal with sin. And that's what I'm fixing to show you here. And this is going to help you. Okay, this is going to help you. This is how Satan tempts you or tests you. And there's three things that he does. There's three different kinds of sins that you're going to deal with here. And we're going we're to look at all three. Here's the first sin that you deal with. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh, that's your blank. You do have blanks here. I didn't give you as many as normal, but it's the lust of the flesh. Here's what Satan says to him. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, the question asked by Satan is more literally since you are the son of God, because he knew who he was. Satan did not question Jesus' deity. He challenged him to prove it or to demonstrate it through miraculous works. So what does he say? He says, if you're the son of God, command these stones that they become bread. Now, what do we know about Jesus' situation at this point? He's starving. That's what one of the authors, thank you, that's one of the authors said, is that at this point, after 40 days, he was starting to feel hunger, and they say he was starving at this point. So he is hungry. And Satan says, look, man, you're Jesus. Why don't you just turn these stones to bread? Was that going to hurt anybody? It wasn't going to hurt anybody, was it? Come on, Jesus, turn the stones to bread. Here's what Satan was trying to get him to do. Listen to this. 
This was a temptation or a test for Jesus to use his gifts for selfish purposes. I'll be honest with you, when I read that, I did not like that. <laughs> How many of you have ever used your gift for selfish purposes? Wow, yeah. I'm the only one. Thank you, you guys. I feel great about myself right now. So Satan suggested that Jesus use his miraculous powers to provide food for himself. This wasn't a temptation to miraculously create great riches or luxury or make it rain or snow. What any of those things was it? It's just bread, man. Just make yourself a sandwich, right? The Bible, now here's what's interesting. The Bible has many accounts of Jesus providing miraculously for people. Loaves and the fishes, all these other things he did. It's not like this is out of the realm of what he does. And Satan's going, do it for yourself. Do you remember a similar situation? Where do you remember this again? Where people are saying, hey, Jesus, save yourself. If you're the Christ, mm -hmm. and guess who is there again? Satan. Sound familiar? Okay, so Jesus, he's like, hey, use this for yourself, man. You're hungry. It's not going to hurt anybody. The lust of the flesh, our flesh. Okay? One of the uh, commentators had this comment, and I, I put it in here because I think it's really powerful. He said, we might say that Jesus was being tested through his strengths or through his gifts in this situation. Because he absolutely could have turned that bread, that stone into bread, but he didn't. Would he allow his own strengths or gifts or abilities to become a trap in his life? But this is what Jesus answered. This is what Jesus said. Once I pull up and read it right. But Jesus answered and said, it is written. Everybody circle that. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus used the word, and I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. So the first challenge that we deal with, the first way that Satan will test you is going to be in your flesh. Use your gift for yourself. Become selfish. Now, now understand, this doesn't mean if you have the gift of business and you're good in business that you shouldn't provide for yourself or your family. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about using the gifts that God's given us completely for ourselves and not helping anybody else. Okay? The lust of the flesh, providing for ourselves but not helping anybody else. How many of you would say you're selfish? Okay? Selfishness to an extreme will preclude all those around you. I've got plenty for me, but I don't have any for anybody else. And the lust of the flesh, our, our flesh can get in the way of that. Okay, here's the second thing that we see here. The second test or temptation was an, uh, an appeal to the pride of life. Satan tempted Jesus to force the Father into a supernatural event. Satan appealed to the desire within every person to sense approval from God and to have that approval publicly demonstrated. Let's, let's look at what he had him do. Or what he was trying to have him do. Verse 5. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Is it a coincidence? Where did he take him? Where? Where was it? The holy city, Jerusalem, took him to the top of the temple. Were there a lot of people around? Were there? Yeah. So what's he saying? Jump off and show everybody who you are. Show everybody who you are. Because this is the temple. This is where it's at, right? And so if you do it here, man, they're all going to know you're Jesus. They're all going to know. In, in other words, hey, you need God, to, you need God to, to rubber stamp this deal. So you, why don't you just jump off this building, Superman? And let's just go ahead and get this thing set up. But Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The other thing, one of the other authors showed me that he actually, Satan quoted the scripture, but he didn't ho- quote the whole scripture. Satan knows the Bible better than you do. He knows the Bible better than you do, and he'll twist it around for his purposes. Have you ever known somebody that'll just take certain parts of Scripture and apply it to you? Woman, the Bible says you've got to bow down to me. Read the rest of it, Jack. <laughs> right? But people will take bits and parts of it to accommodate what their personal desires are. Hmm. Very interesting. So basically what he's saying is show everyone who you are and get the recognition you deserve. Now, here's what's interesting. Where was Jesus born? Huh? Bethlehem in the manger, right? So you see the difference here? Was God trying to send this message? Was God trying to do this? Because that's where Jesus maybe should have been brought up and all that. But that was not God's plan, was it? God's plan was it's a, it's a whole different ballgame. It's not what everybody thinks. But Satan's like, hey, sh- jump off here and show everybody who you are, Jesus. Get the recognition you deserve. Because you've earned it. Yeah, that's, you deserve that. An appeal to the pride of life. How you look. What people think. What you deserve. And this can be subtle. You ever been around a proud person before? Somebody that's full of themselves? Okay. So you've got to watch that. So Jesus told him, no, we're not, we're not going that route. And the devil misquoted the context of the scripture there and tried to trap him. But it was wrongly applied. So we have to watch out. And here's the third test. The third test is, is an appeal to the lust of the eyes. Here's what, let's go up there and read this. I'm still learning how to navigate this thing here. And finally, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things that I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, now theologically, does that surprise some of you guys that Satan is saying, hey, I'll give you all this if you'll worship me. Does anybody have a hang up with that? Who's, the, who's running the earth at this time? Yeah, he's in charge, isn't he? I mean, remember when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, Satan, he kind of took over stuff. We kind of gave him the keys to a lot of these things, didn't we? When he fell from heaven, he took over these things. He took over a lot of this stuff. So one of, one of the commentators was, that was writing here was saying, hey, he's in charge of a lot of these things. So it wasn't necessarily that he couldn't give him this stuff. But notice what Satan wants here. Look what, look what he's asking for. He's saying, I'll give you all this if what? If you will bow down and worship who? Which is what he wanted in the first place. Remember what got him kicked out? I will ascend up to the throne. I am going to be in charge. And, and here he is saying, look, I'm going to get Jesus. I'm going to get God to worship me. 
This is big. This is big. Interesting. Very interesting. It's a, it may seem like a small thing. Jesus could lay claim to all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and watch this. And he could do so without enduring the cross. Wow. Satan give him everything and you don't have to endure the cross. How many of you ever heard the difference between, the, there's a difference between good and great? There's a book about that. It's called Good to Great. And, and here's a comment when somebody wrote, The danger is greatest when the end is good, but it's not great. And right on paper, this looked like a pretty good deal. You don't have to suffer anything. I'll give you the keys to all this. Just bow down and worship me. And you don't have to endure the cross. You don't have to go through the pain of all this stuff. You don't have to, to, to get all these people who, by the way, don't really like you anyway. Just bow down and worship me. What does Jesus say? Jesus said, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him. And another version says the devil left him for a more opportune time. He was going to wait till later on to mess with him. Which I think is interesting. And remember what happened to Stephen? They couldn't accuse they couldn't accuse Stephen because he was doing the right thing, so they made up lies about him and did the wrong thing, and they did the same thing to Jesus. And that's when Satan showed back up on the scene again. Here's the big thought today. And again, we're talking about encounters with Jesus. And, and we need to, when we're reading the Scripture, especially when we're reading the letters in red, when we're reading what Jesus had to say, is how did he interact with people. And I want to tell you guys, I don't know if this interests you at all. This is fascinating to me. Because if you go through and you see all the different ways Jesus encountered people, he dealt with that individual exactly where they were and exactly what they needed to hear. And no two situations that we see in Scripture are exactly the same. For instance, Jesus would heal people sometimes with a word. You're healed. Get up and walk. Remember the guy with the mat? Get up and walk. Sometimes he'd lean down and he'd spit in the mud and put mud on their eyes. Why did he do that? I have no theological idea why. But that's why he did in that situation. Other times he would just look at somebody and say, Go, go, your servant's alive. Just go back home. He was he just right there on the spot commanding it. He wasn't even geographically there. Every one of these situations is drastically different. But I'm convinced that the reason Jesus encounter the encounters with Jesus and the way he interacts with people are so important, it's because that individual, it's what they needed. And here's the point of all this before I go to the last point here. Jesus is going to encounter you in the exact way that you need it. It's going to be in the way that you need it. Maybe it's a still small voice. Maybe, maybe he has to appear to you in a vision. Maybe he needs to knock you off your horse like you did Saul. Whatever it takes. But he will encounter you in the way that you need it. And the way that you'll receive it. Amen? But here, here we see something that can help us because the tests of life are going to come and the, the, the temptations are going to come. And notice how Jesus did. This is the thing I had you circle a few minutes ago. Jesus countered the devil by saying, it is written. It is written. What does God's word say? Now, now let's clear up something here. 
Did Jesus have to say that? What could he have said? What? Oh, get, right? I mean, did he have to say, did he have to say it is written? He finally had enough, said go, (laughs) right? But why did he do that? Why did Jesus say it is written? It's for us. I'm convinced of that. It's for us because he's showing us right here in in our Bibles. He's saying, this is how you pass tests. This is how you counter the the schemes of the enemy. What does God's word say? Because that's the only thing that's not going to change. So if you want to know today, this is the practical takeaway. The practical takeaway for you today is what is the situation that you're facing? What test are you facing? What does the scripture say? What does the words of God say about your test? Then that's the final word. That's for us. This is absolutely for us. Jesus replied with the scripture and commanded the devil to leave. In the same way, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. According to James 4 verse 7. It worked for Jesus and it will work for us. Uh, I love how the old writers back in the day write things, and I'm just going to read this. This is one of the commentators. This is what he wrote. He says, the word of God hath a power in it to quell and to quash Satan's temptations far better than the wooden dagger, the leaden sword of the papist, their holy water, crossings, grains, dirty relics. It is not the sign of the cross, but it's the word of the cross that overthrows Satan. How many of you watched those movies growing up and, and Dracula jump up and they pulled out a wooden cross? You remember that? I got to tell you a funny story. One time when I was a kid, I hate scary movies. I, can, I, I don't watch scary movies. I get scared in cartoons, okay? I mean, I'm not a scary movie guy. Part of that was because I was out in the country a lot and there's all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I didn't have to make up stuff. But, but when my friend, when I was a kid, I was probably, I don't know, sixth or seventh grade. I was still riding a bicycle everywhere. I was like 18. No, I'm kidding. But, but I went over to my friend's house, and they were watching this vampire movie. And I really don't like vampire movies. And I remember it was getting to the scary part, and I'm like, I am going home. And, and so it's dark 30 at nighttime, and I go outside, and I, like, ran all the way home. I'd be like, which I was fast back then, especially if I was scared. I took off running all the way home. But I was thinking, well, if a, a vampire jump, I'm going to make the cross, man. That's what I'm going to do. I know that's what they do in the movies. They make the sign of the cross. Let me tell you something. You think that makes any demon nervous? No. Let's show up to church on Sunday. (laughs) The word of God in action and faith is what makes the demons tremble. It's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us, and it's the word of God that gives the devil fits. It's not a symbol. It's the reality of the power and the presence of God inside of you that makes the devil nervous in the morning when you get out of bed. It's the Holy Spirit in you. And so I would encourage you, because it would behoove you, to learn the Word of God, because what does the Word of God say about your situation? What does He say? What does He say? And then rely on that and say, God, your Word says... 
Lord, you said, and therefore I'm going to believe what you said about whatever the situation is that you're facing. Because there's nothing we face today that, that wasn't faced back then. And, and here's the other thing that I think we need to understand. This could have been one of the shortest encounters in the Bible, couldn't it? Satan showed up. Jesus said, leave. Verse 12. You know, I mean, it would have been like, you know, nothing really going on. But what, but what Jesus shows us here is that in life, you are going to encounter the devil. You are going to encounter temptations and tests. You are going to encounter trials. And so when you do that, this is what you're going to deal with. One of the authors pointed this out. It wasn't just three times that Satan tested him. He was tested for 40 days. Constantly tested for 40 days. So we can't say, Lord, this is too hard for me. Jesus has been there, done that, guys. He's experienced all these things. And so we have a great high priest in Jesus that we can go to that he has been tempted. Hey, he's been tempted worse than we have. He's been tempted in everything. He's been tested in everything, and yet he showed us how to overcome. So that's the question that we have to look at in our own lives. Lord, help me overcome this situation. And he also knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be tested. That is amazing. It's not like we're praying to God and he doesn't get it. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be beaten. He knows what it's like to have your best friends turn their back on you and your family. He knows what that's like. He's been there. He knows what it's like to have God, because of the sin that he took up on our sin, to turn his face away. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what it's like to deal with temptation, and he also knows what it's like to overcome. That's right. That's exactly right. And so I want to encourage you in this. In this encounter, and this is what I thought was amazing, I was thinking about, oh, we're going to talk about Nicodemus. Oh, we're going to talk about the woman at the well. Oh, you know, and then I said, oh, we're going to talk about Satan. <laughs> because I thought that was a good place to start. Jesus was born in a manger. Because he's accessible to us. He was tempted like we are. We're looking at the humanity of Jesus who is God and man. And yet he overcome. He, he overcame the test for our benefit to show us how to do the same thing. So then it's our responsibility to take that on. And recognize that if we will go to him and we will seek him and we will humble ourselves, he will work on our behalf. And it's not your effort. It's your faith and the word of God working through you. Amen? Okay, well, here's what I want to do tonight. Um, I'm going to open up the altars for prayer. And for those of you that would like to pray, we're just going to take the next few minutes to come pray. It, I'll be up here. I may pray with you. If you want me to pray with you, come get me, and I'll, and I'll pray for you.